Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight. Let's go. Championship football. Championship football. Try to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go. Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey Allen. Right. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. Oh, great to be back on the air. One word to say tonight, down goes Baylor. Down goes <laughs> Baylor. Breaking news out of Waco. Art Bryles fired by the university. A tumultuous offseason. We're going to get into it in today's show. We have a lot of great news to talk about throughout the college football world. What better way than to talk about it with Joe and Corey on tonight's show? Nothing better. We have a special guest lined up for you tonight. Former Auburn wide receiver Ronnie Daniels will be joining us a little bit later in the show. We'll talk about the 2016 preview for the Auburn Tigers. But it doesn't get better than this if you're a college football fan. We're just tipping off in the month of May. At the end, Memorial Day weekend kicks off this coming Friday. And what better way if you're a college football fan than listening to the show and getting your college football fix before the month of June. Nothing better. I want to welcome in my co-host. He's a former big play wide receiver at the University of Georgia. Corey Allen. Corey, breaking news out of Waco today. Art Bryles fired by the university, along with the president. It's been a tumultuous offseason for the Baylor Bears, but want to know your thoughts about the current situation in Waco tonight. Wow, Joe. First and foremost, I'm excited to be here. I mean, this is uh, college football, and there's going to be something going on every week up until they start to kick this season off. And unfortunately for, for, for Baylor right now, this is going to be a tough one to hold. Uh, I'm extremely discouraged by what's going on in Baylor. Uh, when you just look at what they're being accused of, I mean, these, these seem to be a, a trail of sexual assault accusations, a lack of accountability throughout the staff, uh, uh, which also known as a lack of institutional control. I mean, they had to fire the head of the, the head of the ship, and that, that's where Art Browns falls. And it's very unfortunate, especially when you look at the kids, that not guilty bunch of kids who have sacrificed and made the decision to be a Baylor Bear. Uh, Baylor's had a lot of success here lately, and these guys have really had a chance to enjoy that. And now it's really all going down the tank because this is going to be something that it'll be tough, not just for these players to bounce back from, but the university as a whole. They're going to lose commitments from new kids that were interested in joining that high-powered attack, continuing to put guys in the NFL. They keep a guy in the first round. They've, they've had so many high draft picks, especially since when you look at uh, the time that RG3 had there, he helped to put Baylor uh, proverbially on the map. So it's right now, this is a tough one for Baylor because this is really going to uh, put them in a negative light. You know, the closest thing that resembles a situation like this, Joe, uh, would have had to have been Penn State. And you hate to bring up Penn State in a negative fashion, uh, they're, they're they're really doing a great job to come up out of that. But right now, Baylor, that's the closest because these accusations, it seems to be uh, some systemic negligence, if you ask me, because, uh, again, you've mentioned they not only fired Art Bryles, but removing the president and reassigning the AD, I believe, is extremely discouraging. I mean, those kids, that fan base, they deserve a lot more than that. They deserve a lot better uh, mentorship than that, and it seems like, uh, somebody was turning their head to a, a long list of allegations because, again, Joe, I can't say that I was necessarily completely surprised. Uh, we've we've heard these whispers around that campus going on almost 10 years now, not knowing any bit of the truth. I think ESPN even did a special about what was going on on Baylor's campus between the athletes and the accusations between some young ladies that had spent some time with them. So it's, it's unfortunate. 
uh, it sheds a bad light on all of college football because it, 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 you know, it feeds into the notion that some athletes get privileges that they definitely don't deserve. I hope this isn't the case at Baylor, but I think we're going to have to wait and see. That's the approach I'm going to take. But obviously, uh, in whatever that, uh, that, that file holds and whatever Baylor has already found, because they've pretty much thrown themselves on the sword uh, with the statements they've made as an institution and by firing the head coach, president, and reassigning the AD. A tough time down at Baylor, and I don't know how they're going to bounce back from that, especially with the season so quickly approaching. Great points around, Corey, when you, when you just talked about it. Systemic breakdown from the top all the way down to the head coach. And we've seen it. We talked about it on last week's show with Texas A&M where the coach tweeted something about an incoming recruit. And we said even though Kevin, Kevin Sumlin wasn't directly involved, he is the captain of the ships, so to speak. And, again, to say that Art Bryles doesn't, know or didn't know I mean it's a it's a breakdown from the president all the way down to the head coach and the staff and on top of that we're parents you send your child to a university or an institution to learn and to be with people that have your child's back both in the classroom and both on the athletic field and to allow this to happen is it's mind-boggling because again it, people knew about it, and and what what is the breaking point? What is the breaking point to say enough is enough? We're not going to take it anymore, or we can't overlook it. I mean, to say that this was the time. I mean, I think it could have been done a lot sooner. You you look at the recruit from Boise State. He had allegations, and they took him on, and, and according to Art Bryles, didn't know about his background until after he was on campus. I mean, come on now. Enough is enough. And as a parent, though, I want to get your take. As a parent, forget the player, forget the athletic standpoint or point of view. As a parent where we send our kids to to schools to learn higher education and we send them to a school to to be protected by, by staff and administration, well, this is a complete breakdown. In in your in my eyes, at least, I want to get your thoughts about it. I mean, I can't disagree with that, Joe. I mean, you just mentioned it. As a parent, this is utterly disgusting. I mean, these have been accusations coming directly from young women. They're accusing Baylor of uh, discouraging these young women from pursuing these accusations, even after uh, they've had uh, certain amounts of evidence or certain proofs that they'd like to bring to the table. You know, this is a this is something that will impact not just the football team. This impacts the entire student body because you're right, Joe, that's just not a culture where I I would send my daughter. I would not be comfortable sending any of my kids to that institution if this is what uh, is going on behind the scenes, behind closed doors, with uh, administration being well aware. That's what you mentioned, Joe. I mean, we all – we can read the report. People did know, and that's what's sad. That's what's really most discouraging. And, 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 again, as a parent, that's, that's just disgusting because if, if one accusation is enough to bring everything to light and, and this, uh, to have this type of trail of, uh, of again, a, a systemic situation where heads were turned and, you know, a blind eye was put on almost every situation that was brought across each individual's desk, and they're going to have to have some accountability for that. And that's what uh, I think this is early in the process at Baylor. I think there's going to be a few more people that are going to have to answer to some tough questions, Joe. Uh, and, again, for Coach Bryles to say he has no knowledge of players that he's recruiting and bringing in, especially when he's allowing guys to transfer into his uh, into his family, into his institution, uh, not understanding why they're leaving a previous place, that's just negligence. That's just, you know, that's just poor vetting. And, and you know, I think it's a, a piss poor excuse to be completely honest with you. I don't, I don't believe it at all. And I think he could have come up with something much better than that if he was just trying to cover his tail. Uh, that's just not going to fly, not in the court of law or in public opinion. Uh, you spend too much time recruiting players. You spend too much time understanding what a guy can do for you on the field. And if you can't parlay that work into uh, finding out what this kid does off the field, that's just uh, lazy on your part as a recruiter and as a coach. Uh, that means you actually don't care about the kind of guy you're bringing in. You're really more concerned about the player. So, you know, he had to fall on the sword or the sword fell on him this time. 
and I don't think he's going to be the only one again. I think this is just the beginning, Joe, and that's the discouraging part. I don't understand how this Baylor football team is going to be able to suit up uh, on Saturdays in the fall and, and, and try to be competitive because every place that they go, they're going to have to hear about the fact that this is their culture and this is what they represent. And uh, it's very unfortunate because I think Baylor's a better university than that. I'm going to piggyback off that and, and go back to your alma mater and former head coach Mark Rick, who was a player's coach. He was a guy that cared about his players. He was a, a coach that really didn't tolerate bad activity, or if he did, he, he handed down repercussions where if you stepped out of line, you had to pay the price. So it's interesting because now we see both sides of the spectrum. We see a guy where Mark Rick took care of his players and, and really embraced everyone that came to the University of Georgia. Oh, he's a soft coach. He was a, a player's coach and didn't care enough about winning. And then we have the other end of the, uh, of the spectrum where Art Riles, where all he did was care about winning. And look at where now the negativity in terms of criticism. And I want to get your feelings about and now do you feel the pundits in college football have reached a breaking point where a guy like Mark Rick is really, uh, I want to say, epitomized for what he has done, not on the football field, but also off the football field because you understand the type of coach that he was. He was a, a, an educator of young men and in building young men into adults where we see our Bryles, obviously he failed in that, record, in that accord and really only cared about one thing, and that was the win or loss record. I agree. I think when you look at what Coach Rick, what, what he did at Georgia, I think his strongest attribute was the fact that he was consistent, and especially when you look at how he disciplined players, whether it was a star player or a guy who sat the bench for four years and never had a chance to play between the hedges. He treated everyone uh, to a man the same way, and I think that is one thing that you have to look back and respect about how he carries himself and how he uh, carries his ball club and how he acknowledges his role as not just a leader uh, of men playing between the lines but a leader of young men looking to navigate uh, their early 20s and, and late teens. So, you know, that is an attribute that he brings to the table, and that type of coach is going to always be looked at uh, as as someone who can come in and, and bring a great culture to a program that might need that. Uh, what Art Bryles was, was obviously, just as you stated, a man about wins and losses. And I hate to beat up on Art Bryles, but, you know, the main thing he did at Baylor was win games. But unfortunately, b- behind the scenes, under the covers, you know, he had this going on, and, and, and I can't say he didn't know about it. There were too many instances. There were too many occasions that were, where it was brought to his table. So, you know, for him to claim ignorance uh, just won't fly with me. You know, he can try that wherever he might want to take that case. But, you know, that is the difference between he and Coach Rick. Coach Rick was extremely consistent on the discipline side, and I don't feel like Coach Bryles was, even though Coach Bryles was probably, when you just look at the numbers, uh, I, you can argue he being a better coach. I mean, he was a lot more consistent winning ball games. He, he did do a great job while he was at Baylor, and that's something that you can't take away from him as far as how he coaches players on the field, maybe he's better suited for an NFL style of, of, of play where he doesn't have to monitor a young man's uh, situation off the field. Uh, you know, maybe that's what he'd be, you know, more interested in taking on because this is a challenge when you uh, take on young men and when you acknowledge that you want to coach at the collegiate level, you're actually more than a coach. You're, you're a father figure. You're taking on a responsibility. You've told that parent that you're going to bring that child into a safe environment and you're going to cultivate that young man and make him out to be the best that he can be. And I don't feel like that was the case when you look at all of these incidents off the field. So the type of coach going forward that people are going to look for, I don't think that's going to change, Joe. I think they're going to look for winners. I think uh, the main thing coaches have to do is win ball games. And unfortunately, I think that's how Coach Browse kept his job this long. Uh, they had a lot of success down there at Baylor, which helped a lot of mouths stay closed and a lot of pockets stay fat. So, you want to see how this turned uh, into such a long stretch of time where an incident would happen and then it, the investigation wouldn't come up until two to three, maybe even four years later when everyone is off campus and things have dissipated a little bit. Very lackluster track of uh, process here when you look at how Baylor handled this, and it's extremely discouraging 
the type of coach going forward that the pundits are still going to uh, shoot for, though, Joe, to answer your question, they're going to look at the guys who are ready to win ball games because that, that, those are the guys that get the big checks. Great points all around, Corey. And, and again, I, I'll say this before we're going to try and get Ronnie Daniels on the line and talk about Auburn, but I will just say this. As a father figure and as a head coach, there comes a tipping point where you have to take the game out of it. And if I'm a head coach or I'm a coach, a guy like Art Riles that has children, he's a grandfather, you know, he understands what it is to raise kids. There's that point that you're faced with, the ethical side of things, the morality side of things. You have to take your job out of it. You have to say somebody's coming to you with a report or an allegation. One of your players possibly did this. You can't brush it under the table because, again, I don't care if it affects your program. I'm sorry. That becomes the ethical and morality aspect of it as a father. We all have kids. We know there's nothing we wouldn't do for our children, and that's somebody's child that is making those allegations. And it's not just one person. You've had Sean Oakman over the offseason who, after the NFL draft, had these allegations come in right before his combine. He's a star player. You're telling me he was suspended for the first game of the year. You didn't know of certain activity? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a trail of evidence that has gone down from the program. And, again, it just doesn't stop at all Bryles. It goes to the president. And, and you mentioned the Penn State scenario. Again, there's a, it falls on the higher-ups of this school, really, to take charge of the situation. It, it, even if R. Bryles dropped the ball, let's just say he did or he didn't, as the school president, I don't care if the boosters matter or what, you have an ethical and morality side of you as a parent that says, you know what, I have to uphold this. There's, it, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it because then the wins and losses and the dollars mean more than a life, and that's where – I don't buy it, and that's where, you know, sports do get the negative criticism. But, again, I, that's the one thing I will say on the, on the issue. You're faced with that one time where you have to put aside your career to do what's right. And multiple times, exactly. multiple times I don't accept. You know, then, then you become – it's a way of your lifestyle. One time maybe. When it's, when it's a pattern and you've, you've let it slip under the table now for eight straight years or five straight years, you now have a pattern. This becomes part of your behavior and mindset. So that's all I'll say. It's unfortunate circumstances. We wish the best to the Baylor Bears during the 2016 season. It is not their players' fault, the good guys, the guys that didn't do these allegations or alleged allegations. For those that have given their hard work and time to the university, we wish them the best in the upcoming 2016 season in the Big 12. We're going to move on, though, Corey. We have a great guest lined up, Ronnie Daniels from Auburn. Let's get him on the line right now, talk about his great career on the Plains in Auburn. I'm ready. Uh-huh. Ronnie, Joe Lisi and Corey Allen live on the Six Shades Hotline. How are you tonight? How you doing? Doing good, well, good. doing well. Ronnie, college football is taking front and center stage. You had an outstanding two-year career in Auburn from 1999 to 2000, total receptions, 1,446 yards. You averaged 16 yards per car- per reception with 12 touchdowns in your career. Tell the fans what it meant for you to play on the Plains in Auburn and what it meant to be an Auburn Tiger. I mean, it's a, it's a great feeling. And uh, Auburn, Auburn was like a family. They took me in, man, and I had a great time. And they really taught me taught me a lot about life. I think, you know, Auburn playing football there was the best thing that ever happened to me. You talk and, about the time that you you talk about the time that you got there, Ronnie, in '99. I mean, Auburn had great success under my personal friend, head coach Terry Bowden. He was fired in the 1998 season, but you came in in 1999. 
You had a great quarterback in Ben Lear. Talk to me about the atmosphere for your team then and, and sort of the similarities of what you see from 1999 to this year's group in 2016. Well, I mean, well, for starters, like, you know, Terry, he, he came, you know, because I'm from Lake West, Florida, so he came down there and got me, him and Jimbo Fisher. And, uh, and it was luckily that, you know, once, you know, it was unfortunate that, he, you know, he ended up getting fired. And then Tuberville just kind of, you know, took me up on his wing. And, I, I man, I think it was it was just – it was meant to be like for me to just go out there and have success and work hard. And, you know, they, they believed in me and gave me the opportunity to, you know, show my skills. What does it mean for you to play in the SEC, Ronnie, in terms of the, the competitiveness and going up against NFL talent each and every week? I mean, it, it was it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was more it was one of those things that you know showing the world that you know I was I was good enough to play in the SEC, but you know it was it was like you had to study, practice hard every week. You know you had to prepare every week, and that's that's a good thing about the SEC, and that's why I feel like the SEC is the you know the most powerful conference you know in in college football, and you you got guys that you know every week you know you don't know. Who's going, what's going to happen, and you got to be able to come be ready to play. I'm going to pass you along to Corey Allen. He's a big-time performer from the University of Georgia. Prior to you arriving at Auburn, you had many great Auburn-Georgia matchups throughout the years. But the one question I want to ask you before I pass you along is, you look at Auburn last year in 2015, a disappointing season, 7-6 and six overall. They lost six games by to com- opponents with a combined overall record of 59 and 19, and you see the success that Gus Malzahn had in his early tenure there as head coach, taking them to the national championship game. In your opinion, do you feel like he's on the hot seat this this season in 2016? Hey, I, I can say you know in a way yes, but as, as a coach, I don't think so. I think Gus Gus just had a, a group of kids that believed you know, trusted him and believed in his system. And I think that's what he got to get back this year. He's got to get those guys to believe that, you know, the system that he's running, is, is, is it fits for them and that, you know, they got to trust that they can win in that system. Because Gus, he's a great coach. You know, I, I met him, you know, and I, I've been to Auburn and been to some of the games. And I just I just think that, that the, them guys need to just dedicate their stuff like, you know, like his former players did. And that's what needs to happen this year. So I think, I, he, I think, this year he's gonna have a lot of success because you know he got some good young coaches in there and they're hungry and they and they working hard and they, you know they believe in what's going on and so I think yeah he he gonna he gonna have it's gonna be a lot of fun at Auburn this year. Auburn, uh, I'm excited to see. Uh, hey Ryan, this is Corey Allen, former Georgia Bulldog. Hey. I had a chance to uh, hang around between the hedges a little bit before you got there, but you played with a few guys that I I, I really know well and. I saw your career, and I, I really want to congratulate you. I, I enjoy watching you as a big wide receiver, as a great athlete, as a guy who went up and fought for the ball. You know, I, I, I can't I can't complain about how you went about your work. But I do have a good buddy of mine. I want to uh, drop a name, uh, Brian Henderson, an old wide receiver. He told me to ask you a quick question because I asked him to give me a little bit of dirt on you. And he said he, yeah. he wants you to explain the nickname Funk. Tell us about Funk and where it came from so we can understand <laughs> a little bit more about Ronnie Danton. Oh, actually, it's, it's funny you say that. You know, Funk, it was actually in the Georgia game that I had we I, I had diarrhea that real bad. And and so that and I caught I caught the little deep ball when I when I went up to dump the golf post. Man, my, my I ended up somewhere ended up coming out of my pants, man. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, when I when I went back to the sideline, I asked some of my teammates like, "Hey man, do I got some, do I got a brown spot in the back of my pants?" And they all just fell out laughing at me, man. So I had to change fans at halftime. But yeah, that's that's where the name Salt came from. <laughs> you, you know what? I'm glad to hear we at least got something out of you that night because all I remember is you uh, pushing a couple of my homeboys around in the secondary, and and the yeah. game just got ugly. After that, so you know what you bounce back well from your halftime incident. Tell me about uh, you know when when you look at your career. I mean, you had a chance to play on so many different levels. You had a chance to play 
under some great coaches on, on all of those levels. Tell me about your transition. We, we're looking at right now, you know, you got the transition from guys going from college to the NFL. You also got guys going from high school to college. Tell us about your recruiting track and how you ended up at Auburn and what, and what your course was like, where you were five-star, where you were three-star, and how you were looked at and what, what put that drive in you. Well, I was I was no, I was I was a I was a four star five star guy coming out of high school, and uh, I actually signed with Florida State first. But then you know I, I played I played baseball, so you know I ended up getting drafted in baseball. And I remember, you know, uh, Coach Bowen, Terry Bowen. I mean, not Terry Bowen, but Bobby Bowen telling me that, you know, telling my mom, you know, that I would, if I was him, I would take the money, and then that he said that. If you play, he'll hold, he'll hold my uh, scholarship for me within them three years. So I went and played for three seasons. And after I played those three seasons, I came back. And when I came back at the time, Peter Ward was at Florida State. And, you know, me and him, was, me and him good buddies. And he had told me that he, he was staying for his senior year. So, mm-hmm. and then that's when, Bobby, that's when Bobby told me, he was like, I got my son at Auburn, Terry. And, you know, he, he really needs a receiver. So and by, by me coming in, you know, three years later, he was like, you know, you can go there and you might have a chance to play right away. And so that's wow. when he reached out to, to Terry. And that's when Terry was like, oh, you know, him him and Jimbo was like, oh, oh yeah. We're, I know exactly who he is. And, you know, they start, so they start recruiting me. <laughs> that's so amazing. That, yeah. that is amazing. I mean, you just yeah. got in with the family. Uh, Joe, I'm glad you, you're on the line so you can know he's got a good relationship with your buddies that bound the family. But I want to ask you a few other questions. You got drafted in baseball. What position did you play? Well, I, I played outfield, but I also was a lefty pitcher. I pitched, too. Okay, okay. And you know what? That is a lot of talent that you that you had a chance to display. And, and with Bobby Bowden saying that it looked like Peter Ward was coming back, and I think they still may have had Lavernius Coles, if I'm not mistaken. That's yep, they had Lavernius Coles and, and Snoop Menace. Yep, I remember them boys, yep. That's a lot of I think you made a good decision to, uh, to to make it over to Auburn because you were able to really demand the ball, and, and it looks like you you, you didn't uh, shy away from the competition. I, I had another question that I wanted to ask you uh, because I, I, a lot of these young men today, you know, uh, and I'm glad that you reminded me that you play baseball. Everybody right now is really looking at how you can make it to the next level, and they feel like you have to specialize in one sport or you have to specialize in one position. And I know you being not just a one- or two-sport athlete, and I also heard, you know, from the grapevine that you might have even played a little outside linebacker before you left the football field, you know, being able to play multiple positions, not in just more – and even in more than one sport. Talk about being that kind of athlete and being versatile enough to bring that to the table so that all of those coaches are interested in you because you have a talent that they like to see. And, yeah, it was because, see, I was also recruited, you know, I was also an all-state linebacker, too, which, you know, that University of Florida, that's, they wanted me to play like a safety, that the outside linebacker slash safety, strong safety type guy. And it was it was my coach, man, named, you know, named uh, Kelly Scott and uh, Rod Schaefer, my high school coaches. And they, they instilled that, man, you know, playing both, you know, playing both sides of the ball in high school. You know, and playing and playing a lot of special teams, and you know, learn just learning the basics, man, of football, tackling, you know, catching, you know, running, blocking. See, I had you know, I had a chance to you know be able to get some good high school coaches to teach me that, and so and I think that the basics of football, you know, you have to do that with kids, man. You have to you have to teach them that all of that matters, and that was going to create create you as a great football player. So, and I, like I think, that. man, it was yeah, and that's that's the main thing what they did to me. So I had to, they put me on the line, the block. They made me play, you know, running back. They made me play receiver. They made me play linebacker. They made me go out there and play some safety so I can cover. So I had to do it all. You had to be tough. It sounds like you had to be one of the toughest guys on the field because coaches did stress trying to do a little bit of everything. And that is basically the, those are the fundamentals that allow you to uh, find your way around the field and see where you can start at. Uh, maybe sooner than later. I got one more question before I turn you over to Joe, and I'm back on the joke side. All right, last question <laughs> I got, Randy, for you know it's a good one. For, for a guy that's known in the locker room as a tough player, for a guy that can go in anybody's field and compete on the highest level, tell us about wearing that black toenail polish and how you uh, represented 
and what it was and what it was all about, you know, while you were at Auburn. I got a few guys that might want to know. Oh uh, well, yeah, man, I, I did. I did like every week. That was more. I actually started at the high school, man. That I, I, I had uh, my, I had painted my toenails one time and ended up having having a, a big game in a in a state playoff Ooh, game. That's all it. And, and so, yeah, and so then after that, it became a, it became a ritual to me. And so it, it's funny that you say that because the guys, you know, the guys they gave, they, you know, they used to pick at me. It was like, oh man, y'all watch out, man, y'all watch out, man. He painted toenails, but I used to do them like. Every Thursday in the locker room, I paint them blue, that orange blue, or that orange, or I can paint them black. <laughs> I like it, man. I'm going to pass you over to Joe. You are one of the toughest men I know. I'll tell you that, Ronnie. You got it, Joe. All right, man. Appreciate it. Ronnie, let me just say this, okay? Corey's a former Georgia Bulldog, and we've had great Georgia players on the show, his former teammates, Robert Edwards, Terrence Edwards, Randall Goffrey. But I have to admit, I think we've had more Auburn guys now on the show, Ronnie. Guys like Willie Whitehead, guys like Mario Fannin have been on the show, Jake Holland. I, I mean, Corey, I don't know. We have more Auburn guys that are stepping up to the plate than the Georgia Bulldogs, just saying. I'm just that's saying good, that's, that's what I'm saying on the show. <laughs> yeah, no. But Ronnie, I do want to ask you. I do want to ask you a couple of questions because I did follow your career uh, on the plains at Auburn. I have probably all of your games on tape. 1998. I'll go back to the year before you got there. That was the year Coach Dowden did get fired. You had a quarterback in Gabe Gross who now was a standout for the Toronto Blue Jays in baseball at one time, but. You talk about the wide receiver quarterback relationship, and we look at the spread offenses in today's game. From a wide receiver perspective, when you look at today's game, what is the biggest thing you recognize in terms of the, the defensive back play? I mean, obviously the rules have changed a little bit, and Corey's given his take, but I want to get your feeling about the change in the evolution of today's game from the time that you played until what we see on the football field each and every Saturday. I think I think now with the spread offense, they are using those receivers in different formations. Like they they put them they put them a lot more in motion. They 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 make they getting those bigger guys now in the in, in in the inside. Normally before when I was playing, you if you was big, you was playing outside out the outside receiver, and that was it. Now they put you more in the inside and creating different matchups. And you know I think it's just more the versatility of, of what they they using you know using you as a receiver, like, you know, playing inside, outside, and putting you in motion and giving you, like, the jet motion where you're running the ball instead of, like, before it was to be the reverse. But now they're giving you jet motion and letting you be showing your running skills too. So I think that's the that's the biggest difference with the big receivers now. You they, they play in different positions. And the one thing when I look at Auburn overall, I mean, a lot has been said about the passing offense. I know you follow the program closely. The, the last year, they only averaged about 173 yards per game. They only had one game where they threw for over 300 total passing yards. It was in the loss to Chad Kelly and Ole Miss last year. But when you look at the rushing production, and I want to ask you this question, you look at the last three years, Gus Malzahn, he got there in 2013, Auburn rushed for 328 yards per game. They had their quarterback, Nick Marshall and Trey Mason. 2014, they rushed for 255 yards per game. Now you look at last year, they rushed for 196 yards per game, but in those six losses, Ronnie, they only averaged 158 yards on the ground. When you're not running the football as consistently as Auburn has done throughout the last three years, that puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line. And I want to get your take from a passing perspective. How important is that for these quarterbacks this year, Sean White, Jeremy Johnson, or John Franklin, whichever one comes through the fall camp as a starter? How important is the rushing attack to this passing offense for success in the 2016 season? It's, it's, very, it's very important. Because my, I think for once those those that offensive line has got to get like to the basis of pushing the sled and be able to drive guys off the ball like they used to, and I think and the quarterback and the quarterback has to they got he got to get into the uh, the film room man he got to be able to study he got to know that when he sees the the, the defense the box is loaded he got to be able to audible and, and connect with his receivers and throw those slant routes and stuff like that like like Cam used to do and even Nick Marshall did it. He used to change the play a lot, so he kind of. He got, that's what I think. I think the thing is with Jeremy Johnson or or whoever plays, they need to get into that film room 
and start studying more and learn and learn Gus offense like those like those other quarterbacks did. And so and the Miami, they just got they got to start driving off the ball. They got to get on that sled and, and you know to create those holes for the running for the running backs like they used to do. You sound like a coach, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I coach. Yeah, I, I, I'm. A, you know, I'm the offensive coordinator at Eagles Landing High School, man. <laughs> oh, okay. Eagles Landing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I was going to get into that, Ronnie. I know you. I know you're a high school coach, so that's why I wanted to get your take from an offensive perspective. From a defensive perspective, they had Ellis Johnson. They lose Corey's former teammate and Will Muschamp, who now is the head coach at South Carolina. But how important is this defense to the success of the 2016 season? They only had 19 sacks as a unit last year. That ranked 104th out of 127 teams. They gave up 182 rushing yards per game, and in their six losses, they allowed 211 yards on the ground. So how important is the defense to understand the new scheme for success in this season? How important? they got to get it learned pretty quickly because they have Clemson on top week number one. Yeah, and, and the, the, the number one thing that the defense is going to have to do is play fast, Physical, they got to play physical and play fast, and they got to get to the football. I think last year defense well, up under uh, Muschamp, they didn't they didn't fly to the ball like they like they normally would. You, should, you know what I'm saying? So these guys got to they got to play fast and fly to the football. And if they you know that's any defense when you when you game tackling and you got all eleven guys you know around the ball, you gonna always have success as as a, as a defensive unit. So and I think that's what they got to do. The defense need to set the tone. This year, and then the offense. I think the offense will come around. Number twenty-five. Tell me, you had many great moments in an Auburn uniform. Which moment stands out for you as as your most memorable Auburn Tiger football moment? Don't do it. Oh, uh, <laughs> of course you know I got to say the Georgia, the Georgia game, man. Because you know it's funny that you know when I was sitting there and the fans were right there, you can hear them talking, you can hear them talking, and and I think. The the, the the last test the last touchdown I scored I say I tell y'all what I got I'm gonna go out here and score this last touchdown and then I'm I'm I was like I'm gonna sit on down and put my arm and head on and relax and then man they was like oh screw you Ronnie you fuck and I was like okay look at the scoreboard <laughs> I knew it. the SEC's oldest rivalry right Corey. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Ronnie, Ronnie, we would love to have you. I know you're a football coach, but as we inch closer to week number one of the season, we'd love to have you on breaking down the Clemson-Auburn matchup a little bit greater in greater detail with us. Oh, man, anytime. Just let me know. You know, you have my number. Call me. I love it. You know, I love to talk football now, man. That's You know, that's that's my heart, and that's what I love to do. So, definitely. Where can everybody watch you? Where are you an offensive coordinator now? In Georgia? In in the state of Georgia? Yeah, in Georgia, right? It's south of Georgia, south of Atlanta. Yeah, Eagles is uh right Eagles Landing, right in McDonald, Georgia. It's south of Atlanta. Ronnie Joe. Great information. Yeah, yeah, Corey. <clears throat> Before we let him go, I I'm glad to hear you're at Eagles Landing, Ronnie. I got a little history down there. You know, I'm a Clayton County guy, you know, Brian and I went to the same high school. And uh, okay. I'll, have, I'll have to share that with you offline. I played baseball on that field, and I helped to initiate a little activity down there on that baseball field that we, you and I can talk about at some point. But, man, I'm glad you're down there. Those kids need that type of leadership that you bring, and I'm excited that you're, you know, you're a part of it, man. So congratulations. And I'll, I'll, be looking, I'll be looking for you when I sneak to that side of town. Okay, man. Like I say, man, give me a call anytime, man. You can come by, man. I'm there. I appreciate it. I'll connect the dots on the six degrees of separation, Ronnie. I'll give you Corey's number and, and Corey, vice versa. I'll connect the dots. Call me matchmaker. You know, this is what it's all about. Studio host, <laughs> I'll connect Auburn, Georgia. Now there's no, no more rivalry anymore. We're all getting along, right? Yeah. Uh, we all get along because, you know, I'm, hey, Corey, you know, I'm, uh, I come with Cap Burnett. You know Cap Burnett, don't you? Of course I do. I'm glad he's back at our alma mater representing well at North State High School. So, you know, I'm excited. We needed him. You know, it's a lot of talented coaches down there in Clayton County. I hate to leave out Big Nate, 
uh, Wardlaw. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot of good guys down there, and I'm glad you know Cap, man. Yeah. He's a, he's a good guy, and he's, he's got the program yeah. going in a strong direction, man. So, yeah, he, he's well, doing good, man. I think we keep in contact, man, so he's one of my good friends, man. Ronnie, we wish you the best in the upcoming season. We're going to have you on again. I'm going to connect you guys. It's great information. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed it. Okay, I did. Appreciate it. Have a good one, Ronnie. Always, All right, always man, you a too. pleasure, Ronnie. All, All right. right, you too. That was great information, Corey. Corey, I didn't know you you, you, you should have told me. I would have had him on. I didn't know him. I would ask him <laughs> some questions. You're holding back on me. That's great. I love it. I love it. It makes for great radio. That's what it's all about. But let me tell you, tell you Ronnie what. Daniels, he was a big play wide receiver on the Plains. I, I tell you, with Ben Leard, he, he made some dynamic catches for the Auburn Tigers during his tenure there. I tell you, he – uh. Ben Leary was a, a good quarterback, and Ronnie Daniels made him look great at times. I mean, he had a guy that he could throw it up to, and Ronnie went after the ball. I mean, that was a, a what we call that is a ball hawk, you know, a guy that sees the ball and goes to get it. You don't wait for the football when it's in the air. The only man that's going to catch it is the guy who attacks it, and that's one thing that I saw him do with my own eyes against my dogs between my hedges. So I know that that's a competitor. I'm glad to hear that he's uh, tutoring young minds and coaching young men because of the way he was brought up. I mean, just listening to uh, the diversity in his career and the fact that he came from a two-sport background and knowing the fundamentals in football, being able to play on both sides and heavily recruited on both sides of the football, having that down here in a, uh, at a high school locally, uh, I'm excited about because I know those kids need that, man. I think Ronnie gave us great gems, and I'm excited to have him back because I think I got a few more, Joe. Uh, the, the, the magic of, of text messaging will get you every time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that story, great stories, because, I mean, we hear stories all the time on the football field. I mean, there's things that go on. What are you going to do? It's a, you're, you're in a battle each and every Saturday, and you, we're not talking about high school. We're talking about SEC football at the heart. At the pinnacle, I don't care what you tell me, the mid-90s when you played uh, to the end of the decade of the 1990s was the pinnacle of college football, not just in the SEC, but you had great teams like Nebraska, back-to-back national championships. I don't care, the early 90s, the domination by Colorado, Georgia Tech, and Notre Dame. I mean, just does not get better. See, you can't tell me anything. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fall away from that opinion. The '90s was the best era of college football. Give me your take. I know you played in the era. You're probably biased, but but give me your take on it. I tell you what, Joe. I am biased, but when you just really look at that landscape, uh, the diversity of the talent. You know, the, it was very much widespread. It wasn't just the SEC. Just as you mentioned, I mean, Michigan was rolling really strong. Uh, Penn State was still extremely good. Miami was in the fold during that during that uh, that tenure of the '90s. So you know there were a lot of talented teams all throughout the nation that had a chance to step up some point during that time frame. And I think just because it wasn't in a pocketed area uh, specifically, even though the SEC was strong, the SEC was strong, especially in the Eastern Division. That's when the East was uh, what the West is now. Uh, I think there was talent all throughout the country, and that's what makes that time period so special to me because I had a chance to compete against the best, alongside the best, under some of the best coaches, going to get some of the best schemes. So, you know, as as a competitor, uh, you can't ask for much more than that. So I'm proud of my time, especially the fact that I had a chance to spend it in the SEC at the University of Georgia. And I think that window was very long as far as college football being strong up in uh, all throughout the country you know, even passing through the 2000s. I want to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about week one matchups. We we broke most of them down already. We have a few more to go. I mean, some intriguing games, not a lot of marquee battles that we haven't covered yet. We still have a few that we're still going to get into, such as West Virginia and Missouri, BYU and Arizona. But for the most part, we touched on the big eight already. Uh, Check out the other podcasts for those type of information, and we're going we're gonna to get back into it uh, as we creep closer to the season. But I, I want to ask you about your thoughts about this UCLA signing a 15-year, $280 million contract with Under Armour. I mean, uh, unreal when you think about it. 15-year, 
$280 million, a quarter, more than a quarter of a billion dollars, okay, that, that is, goes that to is. the Bruins. I mean, I mean, what are we talking about here? I mean, it, it, it's out of control, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is out of control, Joe. I'm, I'm laughing because I, I think I, I almost saw it coming. You know, football is basically following in the mold of basketball. Uh, they have so many avenues uh, to generate revenue, and especially when you look at the branding of these these sports apparel units. Under Armour right now is doing their best to supersede um, Nike in any situation. So this is an opportunity for Under Armour to take uh, a huge step. And UCLA is making a, a great commitment, but the, the biggest benefit or the biggest reality that, that uh, Nike has to acknowledge is Under Armour's product right now is being well received. They are one of the top two products in the country, whether you look at professional or even intercollegiate athletics, that their equipment has come a long way. I remember when I first started trying to play professional ball, Joe, I was in NFL Europe, and at that point, NFL Europe was sponsored by Under Armour. That equipment was horrible. Those tights were too thick. <laughs> they did not know what they were doing. It was We gave that stuff away as fast as we could get it. We hated the logo. And, you know, in that point in time, we were all more interested in the Nike or just having the shield, just have that NFL shield on my sweats. I don't need anything else because the product just really wasn't up to par. Right now, Under Armour is putting out probably, you know, realistically the best product out there. Uh, they have the premier athletes as far as the guys that they, they sponsor and they, and they wear their brand. So it's really it's a step in the right direction as a company. But football, uh, as a whole, football is really going in the direction of basketball. This is really a huge impact. It's a revenue source for the university, but it basically forces the kids to wear one specific brand, which isn't anything new. Now they're just getting paid for it as a university in large sums under large contracts that run uh, a great number of years. So this is just great for the university as a revenue stream. Hopefully they'll build something uh, that will benefit the entire student body and not just the athletes. But uh football team is going to get their fair share of that 280. I promise you that. What, what's incredible when you think about it is, and I want to ask you in terms of the, what they did in terms of strategically, because they did sign on Steph Curry and Jordan State uh, as their two marquee guys, one from golf, one from basketball you know, Jordan Spieth and Steph Curry, but Steph Curry's a Golden State guy, right? He's a West Coast guy. So now they come right back and they follow that up, right, with Under Armour and UCLA. So another West Coast synergy partnership that they put together. Uh, They're based out of Baltimore, and we know in the East Coast and the South, they're they're recognized. Do you think that, that that's why they picked UCLA? I mean, because I think you're splitting hairs when you think about it. I mean, to me, it's no big deal. I mean, UCLA, USC, is there is there a difference? No, they're both. I mean, they're both big time schools. I mean, if we're talking about, is it Alabama? No. Is it LSU? No. So why UCLA? Is it just location? Do they want a recognizable West Coast school? And when you think about the the big three of USC, UCLA, and Cal, I mean, I mean, because there's no way Oregon's going with them. So is that why they wanted that West Coast appeal to compete with the Oregon Ducks and and Nike on that level? If you ask me, I think that's exactly why. But I think it makes a lot of sense, Joe. I think it's to go to the West Coast because, as you've already mentioned, Nike and Reebok and all the other brands dominate the South and the East Coast and a lot of the Midwest as well. But this is a great opportunity because, you know, just as you mentioned, they're based in Maryland. They have the University of Maryland, and they've been strong at that institution. They have all of the actual pro athletes that they need. Under Armour is a very great brand, and they've got a lot of guys promoting them. And this just gives them a, an opportunity to put a base, yes, on the West Coast. But I think in, in, in all, it really – forces every school to acknowledge that they have the dollars to compete with Nike. They, that is the biggest deal that any school has received as far as your sponsorship deal on apparel. You know, I think the closest one to us was a, a, an Ohio State or someone received $250 million from Nike and maybe six or eight months ago. I believe that's the ballpark. So I think it was more of a statement. Number one, no, we can't get Alabama. They're married to who they're married to. No, we can't get Texas. They're already involved with 
you know, who they like. And I think this was the next best option. It was on an opposite coast. It's a big brand, just as you mentioned. Whether it's UC, uh, UCLA or USC, really doesn't matter. It's the same level of brand, very recognizable. And this just changes and removes that Reebok logo that we're all very much associated with UCLA football with, and now they're going to replace it with that Under Armour. And I think it's a great tool for them because I, I've seen other brands do this. I've seen the NFL transition uh, going from Reebok to Nike or whatever the case might be. Uh, the, the positioning of that brand is going to be extremely important. And from a business aspect, I think they made the right decision going to the West Coast, picking a second tier or, or, or a tier just below the top head guys, and, and, and putting a lot of money up front because they want really the other colleges to understand that they're ready to compete as far as the money is concerned. You know what's interesting, and I always think of this, is when they make this type of arrangement and partnership, are they looking at it from the sports aspect? And i always curious if they are. And I don't mean, like we said, USC or UCLA, but I would look at, I guess, the sports aspect because, you know, I was a former commodity trader, so you always look at risk-reward, right? If you're going to lay out money, you better have the risk, the, the money that you're laying out better bring in the return. So I would look at it like this. And maybe I'm curious to know if the people that they do, because I don't just look at it from a business aspect. I look at it from a marketing aspect as, is this team have upside? And it, it, what I what I mean by that is, does the UCLA team have upside on the football field, or did they top out right now? Okay, and that's that would be a concern of mine because if I'm putting two hundred eighty million dollars into this school, okay, I don't care what it is. I know they're a West Coast school, but which team has a better upside? Is it USC? Is it UCLA? Is it California with young head coach Sonny Dykes? I mean, that's how I'm looking at it. And, and, you know, I want to know from a strategic standpoint whether they're looking at it the same way. Because if you, and you can't tell me that, you know, if UCLA goes 4-6 and six and 4-6 and six and 4-6, and six, you know, the next five years or 4-8, and eight, whatever it is, you know, they have 12 games. You're not going to tell me somebody – Kevin Plank's going to be on somebody's ass saying – hey, you know, where's our investment now? Who's going to want to, you know, buy our product? We're, we're back in UCLA, and they're a sub-500 team. So I, that's what I want to know. From that type of standpoint, are they looking at whether a team has upside? Because if that's the case, then, you, then from a strategic standpoint, I would back a team like California, a young up-and-coming head coach that has his team turning in the right direction as, a, as opposed to paying top dollar for a team that's up there that might fall off the top of the pinnacle. You know what, Joe? I think the question is actually in what does the deal entail because I think to answer your question, if this is a 360 deal, meaning if this is a – deal that involves all sports for UCLA, I think it makes sense. I think they have the student body. I think they have the athletes in all sports. They're always competitive across the board, whether it be gymnastics, softball, baseball. UCLA is a great institution. They always compete for whatever that is, the President's Cup or the Capital One Cup, where the teams that compete for the most national titles in any given calendar year, their name gets mentioned. So I think it's an institution that's strong enough to support whether the football team is on the upswing or not. And then when you even look at the football team, they do have a second-year quarterback, a true sophomore that's extremely talented, and we've discussed, you know, what he's up against this year. They've got Jim Mora, who's, you know, he's not long in the tooth at UCLA. I think he just got re-upped on his deal. I think the program's going in probably the best direction could be going aside from winning championships right in front of this contract. So I think it was a still. I think it was a pretty good deal. I think it's on a, from a business aspect. I, I feel like their approach was to really make a statement because this isn't the only deal that they want to make. So you know they've made a little bit of noise, and and we'll see what they do behind it. Because again, it'll make more sense to me if this is a deal that involves softball and baseball and men's basketball because it, again, it has to partner with that entire UCLA brand. Because if you are just married to the football that might not be strong enough to carry you uh, when you invested 280 in it.
I don't know if we lost Joe. I think we still got Joe Hogan yep. on the line. But we're here. Sorry about that, Corey. Technical difficulties. I apologize. <laughs> um, I, I do apologize, but you're right. I, I I I got what you were saying about the overall aspect of um, the school and every every uh, sport into account. But still, I still would go with USC if if I could buy them out there. I mean. Or a team like Cal, but again, I, I mean, because if you're going to take on the big boys, you want you, your your big name is Oregon. So, which team is synonymous with Oregon? You mentioned Jim Mora Jr., right? Well, if Jim Mora Jr. has success, in, in your opinion, do you really think he's going to stay at UCLA for the tenure of five, six, seven years down the road? Or if he gets another big NFL job, don't you think he'd jump at it? He'll jump. And that's and 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 that's and that's my point. I guess that's the fear. I guess if I'm Under Armour, and and I just invested 280 million. We know basketball and be, and football run the run the ship in terms of revenue for the school. Isn't that something you want to look at? You know, prior to. I'm just curious. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they even reached out to Jim Mora. I mean, I I don't know if they did or they didn't. But would that be something that you would think that they would do as a company to reach out to a coach and and get his thoughts about the, about the about the deal or what it means for his program? To be honest, I doubt that they would reach out to him because I, in my estimation, you know, they would probably make this decision before they even approach UCLA. So by the time Coach Moore hears about it, he's probably just being sold on, you know, okaying the deal, making sure he doesn't have, you know, Adidas knocking down his door or Reebok really trying to step in. I think this was a decision strictly made by Under Armour executives primarily just to get positioning. I think that they felt like it outweighed the risk-reward factor. And, I, you know, I think they just looked at it holistically and wanted to take a shot because the big – the biggest thing that we have to really acknowledge is they've got this money to spend. I mean, they they did it, it can't be haphazard. I don't feel like anyone makes a haphazard $280 million investment. There has to be some strategy behind it. I know that if I had 280 to spend, Joe, I, we would work to see who we're going to spend it on. So, you know, I, I've got confidence in the fact that Under Armour didn't get this far making reckless decisions. And I feel like this is probably more strategic than anything with the positioning of the brand, regardless of who's at the helm of uh, head coach or under center, or even the success of the actual football program year to year. You know, it's going to be exciting to watch because, you know, if you don't win ball games, it definitely doesn't sell as well. So pressure's on, but I think this is no, this isn't new pressure. I think Jim Moore is under pressure anyway. You know, every head coach in college football is already under pressure to win ball games anyway, so this shouldn't be anything added to his plate that's going to uh, make him lose any more sleep at night. I think it's just going to be something that he looks at as a bonus because, he again, he's a part of the machine that brought in this revenue. So the school is kissing his butt because he has a program strong enough to warrant this type of revenue. Uh, Under Armour is kissing his behind because they want to get in the door and let everyone in collegiate athletics know that they can spend this kind of money. And the fan base is going to enjoy whatever uh, new uniform scheme or new asset comes along with this change in apparel company. So I, I think it's—I don't think it's as risky as it might seem. I do understand what you're saying as far as having it correlate to the success of the actual program that you're standing behind. But I think they're looking at the UCLA brand, and I feel like we're all comfortable with it enough to even know that sometimes sports fans aren't the only guys buying these items, you know. Mom and dad are just going to walk in the shop and pick it up because their kid goes to UCLA. So they just want to get right. that brand associated with them, and I think it's a great time to do it. Great point. With that being said, I'm old school. Nothing but Jordans, baby. Nothing but Jordans. I'm old school. He was the best there ever was. I I love Michael Jordan, and I'm not switching. So I do want to, before we wrap it up today, Corey, there's my endorsement for Nike. But uh, I, I will say this. I will say this. Uh, it is the way and the landscape of college football, uniforms, shoes, apparel. It, it's a it's a revenue driver, and it's what the kids want. So it's a great deal for, for Under Armour, and we'll see if it plays out over the next four or five years. If we see Under Armour stock tank, 
then you know uh, it was a bad decision by, by <laughs> Kevin Plank and the boys. But I do want to t- uh, switch gears again before we wrap it up today. They came out with the in Vegas the win totals for every team. And I just want to throw a couple out there uh, in the SEC. And I-, I was asked about a few of them, and I gave my take. I- I'm shocked at this one. Tennessee, under and over for the year, total wins 10. LSU is at 9.5. Alabama's at 9.5. Georgia, 8.5, Corey. And that's a tough one for Georgia. I think that's tough with a new quarterback and a new head coach. But I'll get your take. Georgia's at 8.5. And And then Ole Miss at 7.5 and and Auburn at 7. Now, I was shocked at Tennessee at 10. I know they have all these returning starters. I know they are the team to beat in the SEC East. They lost a total of four games by 20 points last year. But I haven't seen Josh Dobbs step up on the road and win a marquee SEC road game yet. That's not a knock on him. He's just a young, inexperienced quarterback that hasn't done it yet. And to put that type of pressure on still – a young team that hasn't broken through yet, those are big expectations for the 2016 season. You know what? That's high, Joe. I mean, 10 wins for Tennessee, that is a high mark for me, too. Um, I, I don't have as much faith in Josh Dobbs as everyone else does, so I'm not going to be the one that can that can – that can really correspond that number and why the you know why they deserve it. So I'm not exactly sure why you would give Tennessee a ten. I think that's too high. I think Alabama's number is too low, and I think Georgia's number is too low. So every other number, I'm I'm really not sure about. I'm really you know looking at this Auburn number, and I'm not. I think seven's a good number for them, but I I, I don't know about Ole Miss just yet. Uh, Ole Miss has a lot of questions, but they also have a great quarterback. So these are all numbers that really uh, we get a chance to see how they play out. But the one that jumped out to me is the first one, you know, seeing Tennessee get a, a 10 and Alabama get that nine and a half, you know, that's going to be, uh, it, thank goodness they play this year. They're going to have to match up and that's going to be <laughs> really what brings this thing to a head. And I think Alabama is going to jump over. This is my early prediction. Tennessee might not reach theirs. Alabama is going to exceed theirs. And I think Georgia will do better than that eight and a half. So I kind of like that number as far as Vegas giving us a chance to win some money. Uh, Otherwise, Ole Miss and Auburn could be a toss-up. And LSU, I think that's actually a dead-on figure. Yeah, I I forgot to throw in Florida at at eight. Uh, I think they're right there, too. I I mean, again, there's swing games throughout the year that will make or break a a year for a team. And Tennessee, for me, I think it's week number two, September 10th against Virginia Tech. Strictly because the game is in Tennessee, it's a neutral field in Bristol Raceway, 160,000-plus, largest college football game in history. But all Mm. eyes will be on the Tennessee Volunteers against a solid team with a new head coach in Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente. He's an offensive genius, and he still has Bud Foster there. So that's a swing game for the Volunteers. When you look at LSU, I mean, it all hinges on – uh, their quarterback, Brandon Harris, I mean, as he goes, really, so does this offense, and they'll be handcuffed again if they can't stretch teams vertically. And the question mark with Alabama is they've now, this will be the third straight year with a new starting quarterback. I mean, there there comes a time where you're going to get a heat cup here and there, is this the year that Alabama does it? You can't take away from what Lane Kiffin and, Kurt and head coach Nick Saban have done. But at some point, you can't expect perfection year in and year out. They are human. They do make mistakes. So maybe that's what they're looking at in, in terms of Alabama. They do lose 30 of the 33 rushing touchdowns with Jake Coker, Kenyon Drake, and Derrick Henry moving on to the NFL. That leaves only Bo Scarborough as a returning starter, 
or, you know, lead back that comes back. He only had one touchdown in 2015. So we'll see how it plays out, Corey. We're just touching the surface. We had a great show today. I mean, Ronnie Daniels joining us. We talked about Baylor. I mean, breaking news out of Waco today. If you didn't listen, Art Bryles fired by the university for the sexual allegations that have taken place throughout the last three previous years. Um, unfortunate circumstances, to say the least. Corey and I touched on it as well. But uh, today's show was sponsored by SixShades.com. That's Sick, S-I-K-K, Shades.com. Enter promo code GO FOR THE TWO, the number two. Get $20 off of your order. And then Alexander Anton, great, great shirts made in the USA, AlexanderAnton.com. Check that out. Custom-made shirts for any type of style that you need. Any- Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.